0: Hello, and welcome back to On The Case. I'm Michael DePoe-Wilson, your host, and this is season two of the interview show, where I sit down with authors of our popular case report series to get the behind the scenes story on some of the most unique clinical case studies published in the magazine. I'm so excited to be back again for another season of this series, as well as the Ask the Experts series that will come out later this month. We have a great season planned for both shows, and I'm really looking forward to getting them out there for you to hear. Before we get to my conversation with our guests for this episode, I have one quick announcement. The first year of On The Case was a huge success, and so much of that is thanks to you, our listeners. And, to be honest, the team at Anesthesiology News has felt so lucky to have your support. And because of that, we want to do more for you. Basically, we want to make the best show we can for you. So to help us get better at what we do on this podcast, we created a listener survey. You'll find a link to the survey in the episode description. It takes just a few minutes to fill out and your participation will go a long way in helping us get to know you better, what you like about the show, what you hate about the show, why you listen, and what you would love to hear more of from us and our guests. So please take a few minutes to answer some questions from us to help us build a better show for you. Now, I'm happy to announce our guest for the first episode of Season 2 of On the Case, Dr. Jane Stewart. Dr. Stewart is the Senior Instructor of Anesthesiology at the Denver Health Medical Center and the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion in the Department of Anesthesiology at the University of Colorado. She was also the co-author of the review article titled, Comatose in the PACU? Remove the scopolamine patch. Which was published in the 2021 Anesthesiology News Special Edition. You can also find the full article online, and there's a link to it in the episode description. Now, without further ado, let's get into this episode's case with our guest, Dr. Stewart. AnesthesiologyNews.com is the website for the most widely read publication for the specialty, now in its 48th year of publication. Get access to extensive news coverage of major scientific meetings, feature articles, in-depth clinical reviews written by thought leaders, and all of the Anesthesiology News multimedia audio and video content, such as the Airway On Demand video series. To get access to all of this content and the complete Anesthesiology News archives, visit Anesthesiologynews.com. So thank you so much for being with us, uh, Jane, for this this episode of On the Case. Before we get into your case report, I just wanted to see if you could give us a quick summary uh, on what the topic of this case report is.
1: Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. So we wrote a case report about a woman who had a pretty uneventful anesthetic, but then had very altered mental status in the PACU, in the post-anesthesia care unit that we ended up concluding was, was due to central anticholinergic syndrome from a scopalamine patch. Um, and that was something that was new to a lot of us so uh, we found it pretty interesting they wanted to make sure that we shared our results with other people so that they could keep their differential nice and broad in the pacu whenever they have an unexplained event
0: yeah absolutely and it's really a fascinating uh, case study and it's interesting because you also have a chance to kind of get into other case reports about this exact thing within the discussion section but to just focus on on your case in particular that you were talking about. You know, I think our readers are able to go and read the case report. It's in our um, our special edition that that came out late last year. Could you kind of just tell us, like, initially when the case presented to you, and some of your thoughts as you walked through the case with this patient, and, and then started to realize what was
1: going on? Sure. So, so this was a woman, she's 54 years old. She um, had had general anesthetics before, but had never had a scopalamine patch. She was actually presenting for a hysterectomy, um, which as you know, is a, is a surgery that is at higher risk for having post-op nausea and vomiting. So we did give her that extra protection of giving her a scopalamine patch before the case started. And she had a pretty normal anesthetic, normal blood pressures throughout, Woke up a little bit drowsy, spent about 90 minutes in the pack you, um, slowly waking up, was able to sit up and eat, eat some ice chips. And then, after eating the ice chips, actually, for the next hour, hour and a half, she became profoundly altered, wouldn't respond to commands, wasn't responding to painful stimuli, and we started getting very, very worried about her mental status. Um, you know, and I think that we all have an algorithm in our heads. for for when someone is altered in the PACU. And I usually think about it in, in three separate categories. Is it something neurologic? Is it something metabolic? Or is it something pharmacologic? And of course, as anesthesiologists, we usually go toward the pharmacologic first, and that's what we zero in on because we give agents precisely because they cause altered mental status. I want to give you something that's going to make you go to sleep. I want to give you something that's going to alter you. I just want it to stop when I want it to stop, and and not keep going in the pack you. Um, and so we really thought that. There was a good chance that it was something she had gotten for anesthesia, either an opioid, a hypnotic. And so we tried to resolve those issues first. We gave her some flumazenil to see if there was a benzodiazepine issue. Nothing changed. Uh, We gave her some naloxone to see if it was an opioid issue. Nothing changed. And then we had to really very quickly broaden our differential.
0: Was this something that you were working on after you gave the ice chips, the patient was starting to come to, and then you realized there was this decline again? Is that when you started to kind of run through this series of, of options?
1: It was. That was when we got called by uh, one of our great PACU nurses who said, you know, I, I'm seeing a change here. And and they are our first line of defense, and I appreciate that they're able to to alert us to these things, because I would love to be able to sit next to every patient for hours in the PACU and see exactly how their recovery goes, but I, I don't get to do that. So, so we were called over as she became sleepier and sleepier and, and was not responding to, um, you know, being squeezed on the shoulder or on the hand. And that's when we started really making sure that we weren't missing something that was, that was causing her, her somnolence.
0: Right, and so, and you kind of walked through a little bit of this, but just to kind of pinpoint the moment you realized there was something unique happening here that you aren't familiar with. It's not like a common uh, fix in this type of a of a case. Could you zero in on when that moment happened where you were like, "This is something else that we don't normally see"?
1: Yeah, it was really after the naloxone and the fluma- flumazenil were given. I think that. Benzos and opioids are usually our main targets for altered mental status in the PACU. And after those were given and we got absolutely no response, especially because even if the opioid is not the main trigger for the altered mental status, it's usually a contributing factor. And so reversing it completely um, by giving naloxone at least gives the patient enough pain that they wake up and she didn't wake up at all. And so that was when we realized, okay, something else is going on and something more profound is going on. So we need to make sure that we're we're investigating this fully. The Anesthesiology
0: News e-newsletter is a free resource from the most widely read publication for the specialty. Get the latest clinical news and multimedia content delivered right to your inbox. Go to anesthesiologynews.com slash e-news to sign up today. And at that point, had you considered that it could be the patch? Or where was your
1: next thought at that point? Yeah. So I, I, I think that um, one of the difficult things about having a differential is that um, in medical school, they teach you that you go down this list of, of your differential and you do one thing and then the next thing and then the next thing. And in real life, we know that's not what happens. We investigate multiple things at the same time. So at the same time, we kind of went down several different roads. We thought it could be the patch. So we removed the patch. We thought it could be a metabolic issue. So we drew a, a wide rainbow of labs. We drew an ABG. Um, and drew a BMP and a MAG and a foss. And then we were concerned that there was a neurological issue. So we started mobilizing, um, having Neuro come see her and thinking about doing a CT of her head. So all of those things were kind of happening simultaneously. And I think that one of the reasons I love anesthesia is that we function very well in a team and with a group mind. And so at this point, we called over two other anesthesiologists who were very experienced, and we all started discussing and trying to figure out, okay, what do we think is going on here? And um, someone who had been practicing for quite a while and had done a lot of ICU training really thought that the scopalmine was the right road to go down. And in addition to removing the patch, thought that we should administer the antidote, which is physostigmine. So that was the next thing that we did.
0: Yeah, and I guess that brings me to my last kind of like detail question about the case: is what the outcomes were. So, uh, you know, after that, how how did the patient respond?
1: Yeah, so we gave her a milligram of physostigmine. Physostigmine, in most institutions, comes in a a two milligram vial. It's a glass vial that you break open. It's one milligram per mL. Comes as two milligrams total. Um, We were being cautious and gave just one milligram, and she immediately opened her eyes started talking and responding to commands. We gave her the second milligram five minutes later, and by then she, she had basically returned to normal, um, which was a profound difference within just a couple of minutes.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Especially considering that you had worked through so many other potential avenues of, of treatment at that point.
1: It's one of those things where, where you you learn a very broad differential. But if it's something you've never seen before, uh, you you have this intrinsic bias that it's less likely, and so you don't go down that road. And but if you've read a case report, and this has happened to me many times, I've read one of your case reports. I've read a case report in a journal that that wasn't anesthesiology news. Those don't exist, of course. Um, but I've I've read a case report that has stuck in my brain, and then that is part of my differential. Front and center, and it's mattered. It's mattered for the care of a patient, and so that's why we we wanted to make sure that we shared our experience.
0: And it does seem like, and, and you see these in case reports like this, that it's oftentimes the thing that gets overlooked. You're thinking, I know how much worse could this be than I expect, and you don't think, well, maybe it's just maybe it's just this one little thing that we need to change here. Um, so and, that, and to have that kind of outcome immediately after is. is very rewarding i'm I'm sure
1: yes absolutely and and you know it's something that central anticholinergic syndrome is something that we used to think about a lot more because we used to use iv scopolamine as a pre-treatment and we don't use it anymore it's not available in the u.s anymore but um there were some studies that thought that between eight and twelve percent of general anesthetics where iv scopolamine and some other agents that we no longer use were used and and that they resulted in anti central anticholinergic syndrome, but because those agents have gone by the wayside, we don't see it as often. And I think that the newer generations of anesthesiologists don't have central anticholinergic syndrome at the forefront of their mind. And, and then they're not prepared to treat it. And so as anesthesia evolves, our differentials start to evolve, but those rare things still need to be in the back of our heads, you know, and and it's not without consequences for, for patients. This is a woman who was altered enough that we considered reintubating her, which could have led to a prolonged intubation, could have led to any of the complications that come with intubation, um, can lead to acute lung injury, leads to an unanticipated hospital stay. And while I wish that all of our focus could be on what happens to patients, we also have to think about hospital resources. And and one of the things that we need to think about is is having an unanticipated intubation ICU stay admission really puts a strain on our system, especially right now. So these are important things.
0: And so that kind of gets into the the next question, uh, sort of just like looking back on the case. Um, you know, what, what what were some of the major lessons that you and your team took away from the experience?
1: I, I think the first one was was that we function better as a group and calling other people in to think about the problem sooner rather than later um, is never a bad idea. We, we are not a hive mind where we all think the exact same. We all have different ideas, different experiences, have been trained at different places, which is what makes us great as a team. And so by bringing in a couple of other anesthesiologists as this was happening, we were able to get a lot more ideas much more quickly and resolve the problem a lot more quickly. So I think that that's, that's one of the big things. Um, and that's that's really why I love anesthesia because I love working in a team. I love having these discussions. I love brainstorming. And, um, and it just makes me excited that we get to take p- care of patients that way. Um, and I think that next time I will be much faster to reach for the Fisostigmine. Um, two out of three of us had never given it before. Um, only, only one of us had. And so there's always a little bit of trepidation when you're, you're administering a drug you've never given before. But it, it's a drug with very few side effects. You know, it has some GI side effects. Um, in very, very rare cases, it can cause arrhythmias. But for the most part, it's pretty safe and you can readminister it every five to 10 minutes. Yeah, so I would be, um, especially a one milligram dose with with almost no side effects, I that we saw such a profound difference in, I would do that much more quickly next time. Um, there have been times in the PACU when I was sure it was an opioid issue, gave three or four doses of naloxone, and, and that wasn't it. And so I think that I I might be more likely to give one or two doses of naloxone and then try physostigmine if I think that the person has an indication for that.
0: Right. And that actually kind of gets into another part of the the discussion in, in the case report, which you bring up the um, considerations with age. And so obviously, this patient was uh, in her 50s. And you highlight a few other cases, you know, specifically regarding a patient's age. Could you talk a little bit about how that played into your case and how it plays into this issue more broadly?
1: Absolutely. So in, in general, we think of patients that are in the category of being elderly, so over the age of 65, as having um, a higher risk of having post-operative uh, confusion, altered mental status. There are some case reports that, that do discuss that they also are more likely to have issues with scopalamine in general. Um, and so they, there are some retrospective studies that have taken patients who've had central anticholinergic syndrome after getting scopalamine. That were all elderly patients and they did neuropsychological testing on them and they all had deficiencies in at least one cognitive area now it's easy to look back and see that these these patients had a cognitive deficiency um and it's easy to say okay i don't want to give scopolamine to an elderly patient um but our patient was 54 and i wouldn't call that elderly mostly because i'm close to 54 and I, I think that we didn't think of it as quickly because of her age. And and this was a really good reminder that this is something that can occur in a younger person as well.
0: Yeah. I, th- I thought that was a really interesting aspect of it. I'm, and I'm glad you included it in the case report, um, you know, just to kind of highlight, highlight that. I mean, it is interesting because the other cases you mentioned, I believe it was a six year old or, or a, like a very young um, patient. And then there were, as you said, like, you know, senior elderly people in their later sixties. So, like you said, fifty-four. You don't really probably think about a person being in that category of oh, I need to worry about their age right now. Um, so that is an interesting part of your of your specific case. Um, I I wanted to get back to this, and you you talked about this in a couple spots about the different ex- different experiences of your team and how that played a, a part in finding the solution. And so I was wondering, was this something that some of your team had seen in the past and had dealt with so they knew what to do?
1: Yes. So Dr. Luis Verdusco, uh, who is a critical care trained anesthesiologist, um, he he was the one that we called in as, as the third person. And immediately he he thought of scopolamine, the scopolamine patches being the issue. And he had given physostigmine before, felt very comfortable with it and, and thought, since we've tried the naloxone, we've tried the flumazenil, this really needs to be our next step um, before we take we, before we re-intubate the patient and take them for a CT scan that they may or may not need. Um, this is an easy attempt with very little downside. Let's try it first. And, and so he had seen this before, had seen this um, with patients post-op who'd had a scopalamine patch. And then had also seen central anticholinergic syndrome in the ICU from kind of a cacophony of drugs combined. And so um, for him, hearing the story where the mental status improved and then got worse again, uh, he felt like it was very, very clear. And part of that has to do with the scopalamine patch itself. It takes a while for the body to absorb it. That's why we give it pre op, it takes, you know, four hours or so before it starts to reach. Concentrations that are actually helpful for nausea, and looking at the timing of the case and the timing of her wake up and then her re-somnolence, um, he really felt like this was was something that should be high on the differential.
0: Okay, and um, and so obviously this case happened a while ago, right? And and you had enough time to write your the report and we published it and it's out it's out there in the world and has been well received and. Um, And obviously it's great that people have gotten a chance to see that already, but I was curious, like, you know, now that we're getting to talk about it um, here for on the case, have you since encountered any other cases that have been similar to this that have maybe you've been informed by that experience and you've been able to put it into action with uh, other patients?
1: Yes, we, we do experience altered mental status and, and kind of a, a delayed emergence in the PACU, I would say probably once or twice a month. And, um, one of those times, before I decided to reintubate the patient and take them down for a CT, I did administer physostigmine. It was not the answer that time. Um, that patient was having a neurological issue and was having a seizure um, that was more of an absence seizure, so we couldn't couldn't see any physical signs of it. Um, but it was helpful to at least know that I had tried everything before intervening in a major way and and buying the patient an intubation and an ICU stay.
0: Is there anything else you'd want to add um,
1: before I let you go? Um, I, I think that one of the things that I really like about this case is that often when we're studying for boards, we're memorizing these esoteric lists of possible reasons that someone can be altered in the PACU and possible reasons for delayed emergence. And I really encourage people to seek out case reports like this that will make things stick in your memory and and give you a personal flavor so that when you see something on an exam, this is really for all of the residents out there and everybody who hasn't finished taking their boards, that you can relate to it instead of just memorizing it. Um, and that's what I love about reading case reports is I'm able to then say, "Oh, I remember that one case where where the person had this happen, and this was the drug they gave. Um, or I remember that episode of Homeland where he you know, got dosed with organophosphates and they gave him atropine and And so for me, that's really, really helpful, and I hope that other people can can take this and use it the same way and and have their their studying be enjoyable and be something that helps to save patients and not just be a list that they memorize.
0: That's a great point. So uh, thank you so much for, for joining us and, uh, and and getting a chance to go back and kind of review uh, review this case. Uh, we really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. And thank you so much. I got so many text messages when it came out. People were like, I see your name in anesthesiology news. You're very famous. And so I felt felt very famous for a few days. So thank you so much. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much to Dr. Stewart for being our guest on the first episode of On the Case this year. And thank you to all of you for joining us again. I would like to remind you that if you are listening to Dr. Stewart explain what went into writing this case report, and you are thinking that you too might have a case to submit, please consider doing so. You can go to our website at anesthesiologynews.com case submission to submit your case report to us for a review and we really hope that you do. I'd also like to remind you not to forget to take our listener survey. You can find a link to it in the episode description. And finally, if you don't already subscribe to our channel, please do. And if you are already subscribed, then consider sharing us with your friends and colleagues. You can also check out the other shows on our channel, including the most recent season, Of the ethers where we revisited the origin story of ether day on the 175th anniversary of the first public demonstration of ether anesthesia we'll be back in two weeks with the first episode of this season of ask the experts until then thanks for listening anesthesiology news presents on the case was produced this month by me, Michael DePoe-Wilson. It was edited by Ken Christensen. Our music comes from Blue Dot Studios. Our editorial director is James Pruden. The rest of the team is Richard Torto, Justin Kabak, Blake Dennis, Betty Zong, Kristen Janikone, Lucia Scanlan, Kwang Yi Chung, Sophia Lee, and Sam Steinfeld. And a special thank you to our guests for this episode. Dr. Stewart. On the Case is a project of Anesthesiology News, the most widely read publication for the specialty, and the McMahon Publishing Group.